0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts
1: and Podcast One. We are deep into this year's NFL season, and everyone wants to know who will be coming out on top. Am I right? Well, you need to check out the one podcast that can help you get everything you need to know about the biggest NFL games and analysis on the postseason. I'm talking about the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Ross played seven years in the NFL before retiring, so you know he has the inside knowledge you crave. Be sure to check out the Ross Tucker Football Podcast every week on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and many of your favorite podcast listening apps. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host. So happy to have you with us for this episode. Really happy to have uh, Seth Partnow on longtime friend of the show, especially, you know, and happy to have him back. And we had an interesting conversation. We, t- we talked a little bit at the beginning about why we went more big picture than small picture this week, but we talk about some of his recent work on total usage and where the NBA might be going, because that kind of ties in together. And then the Knicks specifically, because he wrote a piece on that. And then, a few other concepts that he's been working through, and that he and I have been working through for piecing together this part of the season. So I, I thought that was re- a really interesting conversation. Brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a fifty percent sign up bonus. Conversation runs a little bit under an hour. I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming
0: on. Thank you for having me. Welcome back from uh, from your travels.
1: Yeah, um, and thank you for helping contribute to the positive of those travels with some of your recommendations i this is an interesting part of the year because you're kind of we're kind of reading some tea leaves, but we're not all the way there yet, so I don't want to focus too much on the on the micro I want to go a little bit kind of more in the in the macro sense, and you've written some really good material on the athletic kind of on that note and where I wanted to start was you and I have been talking about this idea for it seems like forever, but you really did start putting it together of what you're you decided to call total usage, correct.
0: Yeah, I, I originally, I mean, I originally published something about it, oh, I don't know, six years ago on Nylon Calculus, and at the time, uh, I called it True Usage, and I kind of decided um, maybe a little more humility in naming conventions was, was appropriate, so total usage was better, because I don't want to imply, like, this is the right answer, damn it, um, but it's more just a... a a, a way to split up offensive contribution, not just on scoring, but scoring and playmaking, and also kind of the negative of how often a player is turning the ball over.
1: Well, and so you brought up the idea of I, I thought I thought it was good to use Demar Derozan as an example. Actually, Demar and his teammate, current teammate Lamarcus Aldridge, are good here because when you use the 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 tradition traditional, the the more common version of usage, like let's say what Basketball Reference has it, the way that it calculates things permeates you know like there there, there are elements of it that it that it doesn't fully capture and so you know for players who like you brought this up that basically if there's a player who has a high turnover rate it, a weird way that they can actually reduce that is just taking a bunch more shots and that doesn't really make much sense because they're not turning the ball over on a higher proportion of their actual possessions
0: yeah i think that that's that that's right and the other the other side is you know we we recognize playmaking as a good thing but from a usage and like uh standard turnover percentage I guess we'll say uh standpoint the only good thing that can happen when you're trying to set it, there 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 is no good thing that can happen when you're trying to set teammates up only bad things can happen and the good thing is you don't do the bad thing you don't have a turnover but there's no possible positive outcome at least from the standpoint of those metrics and that seemed weird and uh, I don't know if I've I've talked about this with you or not, but but the genesis of of these stats was uh, as kind of Lin'sanity when that was happening, and people were trying to you know put him into context. And and one of the, the critiques of that run by Jeremy Lin was he was turning the ball over a lot. And <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, um, one of the the retorts from people who were thinking that Jeremy Lin was was you know a, a, a superstar in bloom was, well, he's got the same turnover rate as Steve Nash. And it was like, wait a minute. Um, that's not really right, because Steve Nash is doing all these playmaking things that aren't showing up and being reflected in turnover rate, whereas Jeremy Lin is basically just scoring. And so that's not an apples-to-apples comparison, and we needed a better way to make that comparison. And that was sort of the, the genesis of the thought process. And then once we had kind of the uh, ability to to look at sort of a playmaking usage – uh, stat with uh, some of the tracking data-based potential assists, you can start to look at that and and compare more apples to apples. Okay, this guy is directly involved in this many chances. How often did he turn the ball over? Uh, and that wasn't totally previously doable before.
1: It also provides a lot of value in terms of quantifying a player's overall role, or in certain cases, I don't think you've gone into this yet, but it'd be fun to do, lack of role within an offense, because there are lots of different ways that players can can do it. You know, there are some players who are high usage, low assists. There are some, the, that we'll, we'll talk about them in a second, who are high usage, high assists, but then there is the, that go in different directions. And so the idea of using a single metric to convey a player's overall role within the offense, to me it makes intuitive sense for something that you know, we're both in many ways in the communication business. As much as it, our job is to analyze what's going on, we also have to communicate what we're thinking and what we're seeing to other people. And I've had trouble over the years trying to talk about the idea of this is how big a player's role is within the offense – and, you know, no, as you said, you know, no metric is, is going to be the end-all be-all, but it's it's good to have something that, at least from my experience with it so far, is superior to explain that exact concept of this player, you know, whether we're talking like Luca or Trey Young or those are the two guys you focused on in your piece or somebody who's maybe a little bit lower in the offense or who does something different, how, how that shift happens instead of having to use like two or three different things or like points per game or assists per game or something.
0: No, I think that's right. And um sort of uh, I'm just I'm I'm kind of looking at the overall. All right, so this this year, for example, um Jimmy Butler and Eric Bledsoe have have fairly similar total usages. Um now, you wouldn't really describe their role in their respective offenses the same way. So being able to break it down and saying, "Well, Bledsoe is, you know, scoring the, this proportion of the time and, and playmaking this percentage of the time and and uh jimmy butler is kind of more towards scoring and a little less towards playmaking though his playmaking has been you know kind of career best levels this year but just as an example of of kind of how you can maybe a, an even starker example since they have actually fairly like even closer similar would be eric Bledsoe and blake griffin are very similar in terms of their you know they're involved at kind of similar levels of their team's offense but they aren't involved in the same way and being able to break that out a little more finely and say, okay, well, Blake is doing this with a little bit of that and blood. So a little more balanced, um, more accurately describes kind of how players are playing. And as you said, that that is important for, uh, communicating what we're, we're trying to talk about. If we just said, oh, they have the same size role in the offense. It's like, okay, yeah, but they're not similar. And then you kind of, you, you, you hit a brick wall there.
1: Right. And, th- and that ties in with the other brick wall that you can hit, which is, under the previous idea of somebody's doing a lot of assisting or they're doing a lot of scoring and not a lot of the other thing, then sometimes you over-understate or their role within an offense. And one of the other elements here, I mean, I've used – this is something that people on Dunked On have heard a lot. I don't talk about it as much here, is the idea of the – I call it like with him alone is the general name of the test that I use, which is can a player offensively or defensively – I think of them as separate things as I think we all should – does that player alone mean that your team will be really good kind of good okay or have ne- not necessarily any correlation with your team's overall offensive success and i think total usage can eventually i mean we're going to take time to have to to use it and figure out everything else it can help to do some of that because there's this idea that you talk about in the piece of of heliocentrism and the idea that they're these extremely star dominated offenses. And I think they're a good place to start with this idea of the like them alone, because if these extremely high volume people, if they're, if they have reliably successful offenses, at least in the regular season, the playoffs are their own thing. Well, then I think you can start to make an idea that while there are players who could be or not be in that group, depending on the structure of their offense and everything else, I think that's a good basic calibrator for, for the starts of this test.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, is it's you you uh we may not be able to exactly quantify it, but and what we're working on it, but the fact that, you know, you can kind of look at the Mavericks and you look at how much Luca has to do. It, it's like, okay, Luca's pretty good. Uh you know, uh whereas, you know, Atlanta gets to sort of averagey with Trey Young doing the same thing. it's like, okay, that's fine but it's not the same thing like okay luca we can feel pretty confident that he's really good because he's this this central figure and and their offense is you know uh depending on how you want to measure it kind of historical levels or you know or merely in in today's kind of offensively juiced environment is 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 extremely good relative to the league um, and obviously, you know, someone like James Harden, who has had this role for three, four years now, and their offense is always, you know, really good and, and he's doing everything okay, you know, that you can kind of bat away the empty stats critique. Now, how much those stats are a function of that specific role and they're accumulating to him kind of by choice rather than individual excellence, that's a whole other kettle of fish. And that's a little bit what I was getting into in the piece is, um, okay, we can kind of say these guys are good, but, but this is such a new mode of playing at scale that we don't really know how good. Um, and we don't really know what the alternative would be in a more normal style.
1: Right. And that gets at something that you and I both try zealously, whether we whether we succeed or not is, is, is an open question, but I consider it a failing when I don't, is the importance of context. And so yes. some of that can be this player doesn't have like is in the is in the situation like Harden is a great example here. You know, like the Rockets built something to an extent around him, but also put in support pieces for the most part, except for Melo and MCW early last year and a few different guys at various moments. They've put players who make sense around that idea. Whereas it'll be interesting with with the Hawks, and I mean, there is a big picture and a small picture way of talking about what Travis Schlenk has done so far, but it is also fair to note that while the Hawks have been averagey offensively with Trey Young having this outsized role— that his talent surrounding talent is less conducive to success and it's always hard to convey those things at the same time where it's like well this is where things are and it could be a little bit different but it's not there yet so i mean you do have to you have to kind of play the game that's in front of you while also acknowledging the factors that could be challenging or aiding because in many cases it's that you know a player who is having an outsized efficient season, whatever the size of their role, but there are reasons to think that it isn't replicable somewhere else. Right?
0: No, I, th- I think, and that's that's the hard part. Is is sort of the the deeper you go down into these rabbit holes of of how these things actually work, the uh, less certain you are that you know how they work and how it might go, how it might move to another situation. Because you can once you can start to see the differences, then then you uh in in kind of situations then you start to wonder how well a given skill set translates from from one situation to another
1: well and then what combines along all that stuff of it's kind of like three-dimensional chess while the board pieces are moving is (laughs) the players are changing too like this is something that matt moore and i talked about earlier in the season when the suns were i mean there's still unambiguously a success story but when they when it was like they were the talk of the town in the early early going with with booker and baines and and rubio and everything else while ayton was suspended and part of what i try to convey because i'm somebody who's been lower on devin booker for a long time is we're trying – sometimes we, we conflate a couple of different things. But an important thing to acknowledge in the case of somebody like Devin Booker is he's also been better. So it's not just, hey, I wasn't as low – I was lower on him and, and, and I, I was wrong or something like that. It's sometimes, especially with players as young as he was when as high of a role as he was, you're talking about two different things at once, which is – and this is something I want to get better at myself is let's say how good is he right now? And what could he end up being are two very different conversations, and sometimes, especially when there's a player who is really good or really bad when they're young, Andrew Wiggins, um, we that that can sometimes be hard. And I mean, but at the same point, there are also times. Victor Oladipo to me is the ultimate example of this. Like I've talked about how most improved players are the hard for me is the hardest award to predict because. If you could see it coming, then it's a very different conversation. Whereas like when Oladipo pops after the after the Indiana trade with the Paul George deal, and all of a sudden he's a fundamentally different player and he's given a different role and he's succeeding in a different way. And so that's the other kind of thing that's hard to square here is – how like how players are also improving so we're trying to measure are they good right now and then when we can you try to project it i mean you have draft models and everything else too but i I wanted to try to convey to listeners sometimes that those two things can be there too i mean tatum's a good example here um donovan mitchell De'Aaron fox like there are a lot of different guys and and like that idea of are they good right now will they be good are two very different things
0: sure and you know, that, uh, uh, Andrew Johnson, a uh, r- r- writer for Nylon Calculus, uh, tweeted something today about how one of the sort of a hidden thing in this is that we, we, when we're doing statistical analysis, we kind of live on sample size. Well, sometimes sample size is a guy might be playing hurt. A guy might be tired. A guy might just be out of sorts. He might be sick. And that's – so he's operating at you know 80 percent capacity, but he's still playing. Uh, if that same guy was sitting out, we'd probably think more highly of him because his sample wouldn't sort of be uh, tainted i guess with the with the with the diminished version of him and so uh this is sort of an unexamined thing that we don't really talk about because it it it's scary is you sort of assume all right, this player is x for the entire season, and that's kind of demonstrably untrue, but we kind of go go with it because there's you know, the, the, the amount of, of, of moving targets that you can have, you know, you can't shoot at a moving target from a, a moving platform and expect a great deal of success. So you kind of have to just, okay, I know this isn't totally true, but I'll just ignore it for now. And it's it's the same guy all year uh, when I'm doing this analysis. Or, you know, in some of these these models, you use multi-year samples. And then that gets really, really wacky because it's like, oh, it's the same guy for three years. Uh, sure and and never mind the fact that he's you know thirty pounds he, he's uh he's lost thirty pounds from year one to year three but it's the same guy um so this is these are these are difficulties that you know you just have to acknowledge and yeah, you know and,
1: and, and-, and I think the power isn't acknowledging it i mean I'm sure over the passage of time we'll get better at understanding and and people who aren't me because I can't model things we'll we'll model them better but it, it it is you know uh, an important part of analysis to to understand and maybe not embrace but work within the shortcomings because what we're trying to do and and fans are trying to do the same thing everybody is is trying to explain like the world that we live in the basketball the basketball elements of it and so for me I think it's even if it gets frustrating because some of it is just acknowledging flaws that we can't fix or won't fix or whatever at the moment, I still think there's a lot of value to acknowledging them because then start to think about well, how can I incorporate this? How can I do other things? And I mean, there are, there are a bunch of different examples with this over time. But like, I mean, one of them I think that's that I hope is helping people with I mean the the prevalence of things like true shooting percentage is that. Long twos and three-pointers are worth two different point values, you know, as, as basic as that is, those sorts of things. So transitioning from field goal percentage to true shooting and also the value of free-throw shooting and free-throw volume, you know, like that isn't – it isn't necessarily the vanguard right now. But those sorts of transitions and thought process and discussions can be really valuable.
0: Yes. Um. This is – so a point – I I've been making recently and I think I should come back to and and apologies if if people have heard or heard or seen me make this point other other places is from a you know a a study of stats standpoint we've done a pretty good job of kind of knocking down traditional counting stats as not being all there is and not telling us everything and that seems to have really um, permeated Understanding to the point where oh he scored twenty a game well, so what like it was a one hundred and five possession game and they lost by fifteen who cares um, but we haven't found really how to what to replace that with and so there's a lot of like is true shooting the thing is is a usage efficient what what are what's the thing I can look at that'll give me a quick snapshot in a player and I don't think we have really settled upon a new shorthand for that and that I think leads to a lot of the. I don't want to say confusion, but the the wide range of things people are trying to say as important, whether it's a, like a, you know, oh, he's 30, 15, and 10. This has never happened. Or he's averaging, you know, a slash line that, that no 22-year-old has. Or, you know, his offensive rating is blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, people are trying and sort of trying on all these different things. And I don't think any of them really fits yet. Um, and that's sort of a... It's, it's a, I mean, it's a it's an evolutionary period to be in, but it's also it, it, it sort of makes everything feel like it's swimming aside from the fact that I I am uh, in, uh, looking at, at at kind of how the style of the league is changing and wondering how much anything we knew from even five years ago applies to now uh, from an individual player production standpoint, just because the way the game is played is changing so much.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, and that's something uh, a couple weeks ago I talked about with Ben Gulliver on the show. Of the like, we we talk. There was this conversation we got into it because we're he and I were talking about Giannis and Luca, and because Nate when Nate and I are doing all decade stuff for Dunked On, and we got into the conversation about like who who is our current best guest at the best player of the of the twenty twenties, and a point that Ben brought up in the context of LeBron James is we don't know what the league is going to look like 10 years from now, much less five years from now. And so it is going to be so fascinating to see not only, I mean, we talk about it sometimes in the context of either either direction, but especially in terms of players who adapt their game to fit where the sport is going, where the the style of play and everything like that. But then there are also players, I think of PJ Tucker here as an example where to full credit to him for becoming a more confident three point shooter and everything else like that, but who the game comes to them to the extent that like, pj tucker playing center and that and that's lineup that the rockets go to sometimes that's something that wouldn't have really been possible 10 years ago because there were so many big dudes at center and his some of his foibles in that respect might have been more challenging and so you have these different elements that are coming to bear that will make life easier and harder on players who are also adapting to it in their own games and trying to add you know a three-point shot or an off the dribble shot or getting better at switching or or all the things that players do to improve as improve in the off season and sometimes in season. It's so interesting to me to think about that idea that we can project, you know, let's say Leonis versus Luca or something else like that, but also remembering that there's also the other moving target beyond how these players age and develop over the years of what is rewarded and what is is minimized in the 2027 NBA.
0: For sure. And the the number of you know, this is, a, this is a really interesting, I mean, maybe to me at least, uh, interesting kind of meta-conversation is the kind of things that will affect that. I mean, you have, yes, the league strategy and how the league is playing, but that's also dictated by the rule set. Like, what happens to the charge rule? Do they move the three-point line back? Do they widen the court? Do they shrink or widen the lane? How do they start policing the gather step better? What, uh, what do continuation rules do? And on and on. All of these little things have you know, impacts on, you know, what kind of skill sets are most important. So that's one. Number two is, you know, we, we've, we've just gotten like the latest round of, and I don't want to talk specifically about it because I'm annoyed by it until we see really concrete proposals, but the uh, the latest round of like schedule revamp proposals. Uh, what does the schedule look like in 2027? I think that the game, a 56, 58 game, call it, we play every team twice. Fifty-eight game regular season looks a lot different. Uh, I think that the, the game by game looks a lot more just from a. I'm not necessarily saying from an intensity standpoint, but from a game by game game planning and adjustment
1: standpoint, player usage looks let's call much it more that. like yeah. Oh well, oh, just just like prep.
0: Like I think you're going to see more quote unquote playoff style defense because you have if you're playing two games a week. You have a full day, a full full two days, three days of, of practice and prep to do something, to put something new in for, okay, we're playing James Harden. What? How are we defending him? What you can do on, you know, even if you have a full, like a day between games, but it's a travel day and whatever, what you can implement in that situation is pretty limited. Uh, I think we've seen kind of in the playoffs, you can you can roll out and try a lot more different things and be more – uh, integrated with them because you just have more time and focus on that. And if the schedule spaces out some, you, you, you'll probably start to see more of that. And so certain skills get, get, uh, you know it's kind of like the, the kind of skills, you know, it's coming, stop it becomes more valuable versus, you know, the advantage of, of being a surprise lefty who might diminish, you know, if you're, Hey, three days of practice say, Hey, Thad Young is lefty. Um, how 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 often does Stad young get to his left hand if you have two or three full days of prep before you play him every time?
1: Well, and, and there are some reasons to, to think that they would be different. But one that I I get back to is teams that have a like a, a novel like that that have intensity like you go back to I think Sacramento last year or for me, it's the Ty Lawson Denver Nuggets team that a part of why they did did better maybe than expected in the regular season was because they were playing harder they were playing at this in this sort of tempo thing that would be hard to handle but if you're playing fewer games i think that those the novelty of that would be a little bit less potent because the other teams would be playing their best players more often they would they would they would be more rested everything like that and another one i didn't get a full sense of this really until i started covering the league was how little nba teams practice during the regular season yes. because they travel, they play in games, they have shoot arounds. So, really, what you need, and you you would know this better than I, is really, I think you kind of need no travel on either end of a full day. And then at that point, maybe you'll, or, or a game, obviously. Then at that point, maybe you'll practice. And you can think about the NBA season, there aren't that many occasions for that to happen. And the value of practice is, is an interesting question. That's something that would be be interesting for coaches to talk about everything else. That that would be one thing like if they do I don't know if they're gonna do open court for coaches again fulfillment during summer league. I would love to hear them talk about that. Like if, if the NBA changed their schedule and they were guaranteed like one or two practices a week, how that would change the way they thought about their rosters and everything else.
0: I, I again I think that the biggest change would be the amount of of kind of game to game adjustment that 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 is possible um and that's and again that 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 would be the biggest thing because you can you know you can theoretically okay here's how we would defend player x y or z but if it's if it's that much of a deviation from your normal you know coverage or set of coverages it's not something that's really you know m- maybe with a a a specific roster of very veteran uh, adjustable guys who who have have kind of seen it all and done it all and can implement something on the fly, maybe then you can do it now, but for the majority of teams like trying to you know reinvent a coverage scheme on the fly with a half you know with a shoot around that's just your your you're asking yourself to to you're you're basically putting yourself in trouble in jail almost because you can the 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 scheme could be theoretically perfect but that's you know you're not asking a reasonable thing of players to be able to to implement that with high degree of precision at game speed without you know real prep time
1: right and another thing that was a it was a storyline that a few of us were talking about during last season um, – I, I give Jared Dubin credit for this and, and a few others – was the the prevalence for certain teams of zone defenses. And, you know, at a, at a point we were thinking of that as, as novelty in the regular season and, I mean, Miami pulled one out at various moments and Toronto and everything else. But then – something that looked like a benefit towards the end of the year. And again, you're dealing with, you know, like sample sizes and how everything verifies is that just so happened that one of the teams with smartest, best defenders that had tried a bunch of different things in the regular season won the NBA championship in, in Toronto. And they, part of what they did was, you know, going to a novel defense when given the opportunity with Durant out to run basically a box and one at the Warriors. And, so there, you run into two challenges there. One is, yeah, it, I think it would, the teams would benefit from spending more time both in practice and in games, where in practices there's way less risk, working on these different theories, getting players comfortable with it. But the other part is... It's not like every team having nine different defensive alignments would really work because not every team has Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Kyle Lowry, and Fred Van Vliet who can run a lot of different stuff because they're strong for their size. And so I, I, I find myself torn. You know, like there, there are unambiguous benefits to the rest of the league for not only being able to tailor and strategize, but also being able to try the things. But it's not going to be the catch-all that like makes it some defense is just awesome permanently in the NBA.
0: No, I, did, I I don't think I, I'm not saying that so much. Just that different skills will be.
1: Uh, oh, oh! I wasn't criticizing you at all. I just yeah, wanted to make sure. Yeah, I, I just wanted to make yeah. sure to convey convey that point that it would it would yes. help a lot of things, but it wouldn't necessarily solve. Yeah, it.
0: yeah. No, I mean the guy. Like again, you know it's coming. Stop it. Like okay, maybe there's a there's a, a slight like decline in the, you know, the the, you know certain players, there, there might be a slight decline in their, in their productivity based on, uh, on, on, you know, being slightly more prepared. But the reason why it's, it's a, you know, it's a, you get the runaway freight train thing is that it's a, it's a runaway freight train. So you can, you know, you can, I don't know, I'm going to, I'm going to just destroy this metaphor. So I'll stop. I was going to make something about like sandbags or something, but no, we'll just, we'll just drop it and move on. because <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I don't want to, I don't
1: want
0: to, uh, to, break the metaphor even more than i already have
1: plenty more to talk about with seth but first a message from betonline.ag it is the final week of the nfl regular season it is also christmas week and the sports action is just absolutely huge playoff implications all over the place in the nfl plus christmas day nba matchups and college football bowl games whatever you're into you can check it out at betonline.ag and take advantage of the best bonuses in the business you can sign up for a free account and make sure to use the promo code podcast one for a 50 sign up bonus Week 17 in the NFL, Niner Seahawks is the headliner, also the headliner in my own heart. But you also have Christmas Day, Clippers at Lakers, Celtics at Raptors, Bucks at 76ers, and then College Football Bowl games, Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State, Clemson, Peach Bowl, LSU, Oklahoma, both can be really exciting and of course all over and whatever you're into. Check it out at betonline.ag. Whether you want to do in-game wagering or you want to do some sort of parlay or all sorts of things going on, use that podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up for a new account. Also tells them, of course, that you came from us, which we really do appreciate, and that makes them hopefully continue to advertise with Real GM Radio. So whatever you're interested in, visit betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Let's move to a decidedly different situation. The New York Knicks. Uh, you, you did an interesting. Oh you did an interesting piece uh, with with Mike Vorkunov about basically it was him asking you questions, kind of clarifying about the Knicks, and it's I really enjoyed it and hope hope that, and I'm guessing it's something that will continue moving forward. And the Knicks are a in many ways the Knicks are a great calibrator to have in the league as like a, a disc, as like a, a a lens point to explain different things. And for me, this gets into the conversation that we were just having about. What the league is going to look like and one of the challenges for general managers is to to, to kind of project that and when you're – this is most important in many ways in the draft of how does this player fit in with where the league is going as opposed to where the league is right now because a player at 19, their prime is going to be in a different league than the league they enter fundamentally speaking. But something you have to do at a very basic level as a general manager or a personnel person – how are we – I'm using the term general manager when it could be a team president or whatever – is you at bare minimum have to calibrate based on where the league is right now. And I think that's a big part of the story of why the Knicks have been so disappointing, frustrating, all that kind of stuff this season. So Nixie. So Nixie. the last couple of years is that – that's the very basic point is if you put – Julius Randle and Marcus Morris and R.J. Barrett and Bobby Portis and all these guys on the same team. There, there shouldn't have been. I went on a Twitter Twitter in about this about a month ago before before uh, Fizdale got fired. Of you have to have a, like a theory of success, and that team didn't really have it. At least as you and I see the league. No, it's
0: it's it was just it was never going to work because, and this is something you know you you got into. I got into in that piece a little bit is like okay. Even if you think their talent is better, their their kind of you know, you know flattened one number talent, at, at, at aggregated across the roster is better than their record. You can't get that. You can't get it all on the floor together in any like meaningful way that makes sense in the modern NBA. Like, is you gonna play Marcus Morris at two guard? Like that doesn't that that just doesn't work you 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 on on either end you don't have enough you don't have enough ball handling you don't have enough defensive mobility you just get diced up on both ends of the court and okay i'll maybe maybe they maybe we should maybe they should have tried it and we could have seen but it it it's pretty obvious as to why it's it is less likely to work than it is but you know Perhaps given the situation, someone should have been a little more willing to, like, you know what? I'm just going to put my best five guys on the floor, even if four of them are power forwards, and the other one is Mitchell Robinson, um, and just, to, just to, you know, see if we see if we can talent our way out of this. Um, maybe they should have tried that more. But at the same time, it's like when you're in that position, it's like, ooh, we've done a not awesome job of making sure the the, the group collectively makes sense.
1: Well, and it's funny because there have been moments the Knicks have inspired me to think, well, maybe there should be a like an ombudsman within an organization to say, This whole thing doesn't make sense and then I realized that's supposed to be the general manager. Like, that's a big part of their job. These are fifteen player rosters. It's not, you know, a fifty five player NFL roster or some of these crazy like college football organizations where they just have seemingly a million guys. You know, it's a 15-player roster. It isn't that hard to to think that there has to be some element of continuity. And I, I'm i sympathetic to the practical reality that the players who would have made sense to fill out this Knicks roster don't exist at a price point that the Knicks could have done, even though the Knicks had unlimited money just because they want something else and everything else. And, you know, they did, to an extent, get guys like Wayne Ellington, and then Bullock was hurt, they, and everything else. But it's something that you got into that I thought was really interesting is I've dwelled and droned on how sure. RJ Barrett is being hurt by this. And I and and I don't wanna dwell on it too much right now because I've talked about it so much about how it's it's really this is more from an evaluation standpoint than anything else. It's like, you know, even the people which does not include me, who were ardent supporters of, of R. J. Barrett, I, I think that if some of them are disappointed with how the season has gone, it's there isn't enough to evaluate because this is such a such a bizarre situation. But something you brought up in the piece with Mike that I thought was so interesting is that there is an argument that Julius Randle is hurt more by this roster construction, whether we're talking like basic stats or even perception, than even R.J. Barrett just because there is basically no theory for how he fits with this team.
0: Yeah, I think – yes, I think that's right. I mean I, you can say that for any – any given group of play, any given player, really. There's no, you know, there's, there's Mitchell Robinson. What's his best role is okay. Protect the paints in a, you know, a, 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 a solid drop defensive concept and then be a just a, a dive and dunk man, in the pick and roll. And their Knicks best pick and roll ball handler is who? So what, what are we doing for Mitchell Robinson? And, and the Knicks uh, are doing what defensively, um, to to kind of funnel guys to him and and yeah he's foul prone and and spacey and tries to block every shot too much but he's not you know it, it's it's he's not being put in a role to learn how to play this role correctly necessarily so yeah it's just it's it's there like as you said there's no there's no theory of how it works it's it's almost a well these guys will put up good fantasy numbers and roll them out there and it doesn't Doesn't actually work that way on the floor.
1: What? Then the other part of the Knicks' lesson that I think is so damaging, and it gets into why, for me, one of the most dangerous things for a team. And I, I originally the guy who kind of crystallized this for me was Brian Colangelo in Toronto. Of the most dangerous things is somebody who's general managing for their job, because one of the opportunity costs that the Knicks had was that they could have used the cap space they had to extract assets from other teams. And part of the reason they didn't do that was because they wanted to get what they thought were superior talents. Unfortunately, they didn't do either because the, their team isn't good, and they didn't get those assets. So, uh, yeah, I mean the the Harkless trade is an obvious one. The Andre Iguodala one uh, trade is another obvious one. And I know there was some sort of there were these murmurs which ostensibly were trying to justify this that oh well those guys wouldn't have wanted to, wouldn't necessarily want to play there. You didn't want to upend the apple cart. Well. You know, you know who, Why not? Who, who's who's benefit. Even though Andre Iguodala is not playing for Memphis, uh, they're they're still getting that first round pick. It's still working out better for them than right. the money that the Knicks are spending. And another part of this, and this is the I, I talked about this in terms of Mario Hazonia you, last year when I trashed the Knicks for something was there are lots of ways to generate value with cap space, and, and they're not most of them other than signing good players are not reliably useful. But one of the basic tenets is, if you're trying to cultivate value, it is important to have that player on a contract that another team could conceptually think is desirable. And with these partial guarantees for future years and paying guys a lot of money to come to the Knicks, they got into a circumstance where those players that they signed, maybe you can use them as a vessel to take on money, kind of like how Cleveland has all this expiring stuff. If they wanted to get longer term contracts, they can do that. But- In and of themselves, maybe Marcus Morris is an exception. The guys that they sign aren't value contracts in terms of how the league sees them.
0: I mean, the one, I mean, Randall, maybe. Like, I think
1: uh, he he would would be a fascinating buy low for somebody, especially if the Knicks turn over their front office this summer. If a a team just says, you know, the twenty twenty free agent market just sucks. Team says they probably just want to get out of him. Maybe we, maybe we could do something here. That would be interesting
0: you know, you take like, okay, we'll give you a decent second for Julius Randall. And then we get his, you get his, uh, you know, we get him and his, in his early bird rights and, um, and, and go from, go from there. And, and that's a bet, you know, on a, on a one, on a basically one year, one year deal. Um, we will make that bet. And wait, they, I mean, then they have the team option, right? Or did he get a player? Like, remind me does he he has a, player option for the third year or they have a team option on the third year or am I just completely confused or did I, did I no, lose you
1: No you didn't uh, I was looking it up uh Julius Randle has oh. um Eric Pink's basketball reference has it as a a non-guaranteed third season as it actually it okay. is a lightly partially guaranteed 4 million of his 19.8 million for 2122 is guaranteed but the guarantee date is in late June so that so that makes it a, a harder inflection point for, for teams. However, with a guy like Julius Randle, it is a little bit different where you're gonna know whether you want him or not at, at that point. Yeah. So I guess yeah. I guess in some ways that that's more doable for somebody like him than for a like a minimum guy where you want to have it into the you want to have it into the you know, ideally into the regular season to figure out if they're good. But with Randall right, I think right. they'll
0: know. Right. No, and so that's I mean that's a that's you know, that's a that's a winnable bet a team could make i mean if he is good uh you know you 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 get him he is good, will he outplay a nineteen million dollar like next year of the contract you, i think i think that's very in play, so you you know if you can get that for not much that's a that's a bet with some upside so you know, he uh, uh, he passes the, he, he I think he's, he's possibly has some positive value, but not like, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, because of the salary involved, it, it, it'd be a probably a, a, a minor asset. So unless you're actually willing to take on if you're the Knicks, yeah. you're willing to take on bad future money, which.
1: But uh, but obviously you can't do that because Giannis is going to go there. So I'm going to feel so stupid if that ends up happening. But I think something a sea change would have to happen for that to actually occur. Yeah. Um, no, I'm oh,
0: sorry. The Knicks are the Knicks are tiring.
1: <laughs> they are. Uh, briefly, you 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 did an interesting piece also uh, on on the Grizzlies, uh, a team that I'm still working on processing for this year. And I think there are some some real positive signs. And Memphis, some one of the things that I, I like about where they are and where they're going is. They have some good pieces to build around, and I think that the front office has an understanding that it's going to take time. And so we're getting these early in- indications from John Morant, and, and Jaron has had a little bit of a disappointing season for me, and Brandon Clark has had a, a very good year, whether it's all fully repeatable or not is an open question. But what I like about Memphis is they have kind of clearer needs moving forward, and they can use whatever resources come to bear to try to fill those things out. Yeah, they
0: they've kind of done perhaps the, the, the hard part in that Morant really looks like someone you can build around. Uh, and, and also in the, from a team building standpoint, they kind of have, have, uh, you know, swallowed the bitter pill of, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to tear this down. We're going to use some of our cap space on Andre Godala to take on an asset and, and so on and so forth. And we're not going to go crazy about our, our, our record this year. Um, interestingly, this is, this is a, a good time to bring this up. I don't know if, if, uh, kind of, uh, in one of the, uh, the, 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 nerd chats that we're in, someone asked, uh, at what point, given the, the bottom end of the West does, does Memphis say, you know what, we should try to make the playoffs this year. Um, and that's an interesting question, especially when you get into what does that actually mean in terms of, is that just in terms of your playing rotation? Is that in terms of making affirmative moves is that trying to say, hey, hey, Andre, we're we're making a run at the playoffs. How about you, 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 uh, you, you come to Memphis for a couple of months, and, and we'll do this thing. Um, you know, what is it? Sh- should they think about that, and what does that mean for them to actually do? I think that like trading for win now stuff, it kind of depends. I mean, if it's win now stuff that's you wouldn't mind keeping into the future, and doesn't, you know. As a non-free agent destination, uh, trading for guys who are going to take some of your space if they're on reasonable contracts isn't like terrible. So I don't know. What do you think they should do?
1: For the time being, I think that you just kind of play the game out the way that they have and you see where, see where things are in January. But the craziest part of where the bottom of the West is, me of these top six teams that are all – I think as of uh, when we're recording this, they're all eight, seven games or more over 500. And all of them we expect to be better than that unless they get sabotaged by injury. Nobody else, not, not only is it nobody else is over 500, but there isn't anybody in that group that's been particularly inspiring. So the the challenge that I'm having of the like, oh, wait a month and see is it's hard for me to see anybody running in hiding of that group. Like, I mean, maybe somebody has a hot month and, and they win, they win a couple extra games and everything like that. So I think your idea of looking at players not just for this year but using – basically using the resources that they have and acknowledging, again, like they kind of did this year, getting Iguodala in with one of those trade exceptions that they had generated. I think that was in the um, in the Avery Bradley deal, if, me- if memory serves, is then doing so gives them – a way also to to use their their spending power for the 2020 offseason in a way that might actually be more useful, and so getting a player who be, be these these kind of like younger but not like star potential type of guys that a team just you know maybe they overpaid them or they don't want to go or even just capable veterans that teams want to clear their books or just don't want to have them anymore that sort of thing could end up being very fruitful for Memphis. And especially considering to me what they need are wings and forward sized players, just having capable, you know, even if it's a 15 to 25 minute a game guy who's not, you know, like going to be a starter on the next great Memphis team. There is value to that. There's value to having somebody who's capable and who can fit that role. I haven't pinpointed anybody as being a potential fit here. One of the, I'm working on a bunch of kind of like 2020 stuff right now. And one of the most interesting questions here is going to be how teams interpret the situation if they see it the way that I do. And so like how the Spurs with Rudy Gay is an interesting example here. There are a bunch of different ones. And so I don't know if Memphis wants to bring Rudy Gay back necessarily or anything like that, but those sorts of players where you know, maybe the, the, uh, the other team would rather not have them, but it's not so disastrous that they're going to give up a mint because those trades are just hard to do in 2020 because nobody values space that much. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't want to get into it too much, uh, but you, you wrote an interesting thing also about what kind of, one of the things that you can take away from the early part of a season is how talented teams perform against other talented teams. I don't want to dwell too much on this, maybe a couple of minutes, just like kind of how you, how you've seen that so far this year.
0: So it's interesting you ask about that. Uh it's it's funny. Uh you know, small sample size can make fools of us all and I wrote that and then all of a sudden uh Indiana uh beats LA and 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 Miami goes into Philly and beats Philly and those were those were a couple of the teams that hadn't performed great against the top end teams as of yet. So haha me, uh small sample size. But I in in the past I do think that that you know, performing well um in those games has been kind of one of those things, like especially you see a team that's kind of, uh, say take Philly, for example, a team that has had a up and down, perhaps disappointing regular season. Uh, In the past, teams that have had that profile but have performed well against other top teams have also seemed to do reasonably well in the playoffs, have had success making the conference finals, making the finals, even if everything hasn't clicked perfectly in the regular season. So that's something to... Um, to pay attention to I think especially as The league has become more Bifurcated between the teams That are trying and Those that are um, Building perhaps we'll say um, You know you can, you can Fatten up your record and your net rating And whatever by beating the You know beating the Knicks by 35 But how much does that really Tell in terms of how you're going to do In the second round of the playoffs So I think that just looking paying attention to those uh, in the past I've called it like the mini league you know you take the you know pick your group of who you think the contenders are whether it's you know and and be slightly inclusive about but you know the the top seven nine eleven however many teams how do they fare against each other look at that and that that's gonna I think give you some indication uh, in terms of how teams are set up to perform in the postseason and obviously that can change injuries trades what have you Um, But I think in the past that has been a pretty reasonable indicator uh, on top of and in some cases instead of kind of record and net rating.
1: And also I think that the way it happened is a a good reminder that we're talking more about the process than the specific teams, especially at this juncture in the season. It's a small sample size. So, yeah, it's true that Miami and Indiana hadn't done well before those games. But the idea, the power of this concept is – seeing who who it applies to and does not apply to moving forward so i and and i actually kind of like it sometimes when in the early season part something like that turns because it is a reminder that it is always turning in the early part and that's why we have to pay attention
0: yeah and and you know in general this is kind of we we started by talking about this is a uh sort of a a weird part of year where we're um you know we we're, we're far enough into the year that we know basically what every team is um but we don't know in detail. And so every, but we're trying to pick these teams apart game by game. And it's, it, it, it's kind of weird because it's like, okay, yeah, they, they no show tonight. So they're done. No, it's, they no show tonight, kind of whatever, because you know, from, from about 20 games to about, you know, 60 games, we, we don't actually learn that much more about these teams, except in this sort of these few kind of high, high, th- th- these, uh, these kind of clashes of tier one teams almost. And so those maybe take on outsized importance, but still each one is only one of, you know, there's going to be a a couple hundred matchups between those teams over the course of the year. So even that, even those one games are just, they're, they're, they're more important one games, but they're still just kind of one games. So, but despite the fact of us really wanting to jump ahead and say everything about everything now, we still aren't going to know anything for four months So, and, and understandably, you know, we're, we're pretty deep into the season and, and that's kind of a a weird spot to be. So we're just going to kind of be arguing about what everything means for the next four months, which is, which is why in some ways, this is kind of this sort of pre-trade deadline uh, dead zone is almost the most frustrating time of the year because it's uh, let's, let's do narratives uh, when nothing is really changing.
1: Yeah, it it can be a challenge and that's part of why I was so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for taking time. Always a pleasure.
0: Uh and thanks for having me Danny. It's uh it's it's fun as always.
1: Thanks again to Seth Partnow for taking the time to come on. You can of course read him at The Athletic and you can follow Seth at on Twitter at Seth Partnow, S E T H P A R T N O W. Love having him on and I also like the nature – like we, he, Seth and I try to have really kind of honest conversations about where the shortcomings are and, and the work that we're trying to do more as analysts and communicators than anything else. And I think it's healthy to have that sort of a conversation because that helps make all of us better, and that's why it's something I engage in a lot. And I'm interested in, in some of the irons that I know he has in the fire intellectually for the remainder of the season. And, and selfishly, I'm incredibly happy to have him in the public sphere, though he was – obviously doing good work in the private sphere as well. It's just that it was harder for me to enjoy it and for, for readers and everybody else. So you can check that out at The Athletic, of course. Thank you for your patience. I was in Europe for the, basically the past two weeks, pre-recorded that episode with Ben Gulliver, and then it had the... Tears podcast with Matt Moore and then be back on more on a normal schedule, though, with the holidays, of course, that changes the timing around a little bit. But there will be, of course, a Real Jam Radio episode for the coming week. This is a Sunday episode, but it counts as the week that just concluded. So you can look forward to another one. I have a guest sort of lined up. We just need to make sure we get the timing worked out. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating and a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It is great if it's Apple Podcasts, but I understand if it is not. If you want to be super awesome and you use a different player other than Apple Podcasts, you can actually leave a review both places. Also, for this show, subscribing and downloading every episode is extremely important. comes out at very different points based on my own availability and guest availability. So you can't really get into a rhythm of, oh, I'm going to listen to it. I'll download it on Tuesday night or whatever. That's why subscribing is so useful because then it will just pop into your player whenever it is available. And also, of course, word of mouth. Just telling people, hey, this is a good single episode. Whole series, whatever you want to do. Really do appreciate that. But the single most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is check out our sponsors, betonline.ag. Use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. This is a wonderful time of year to check it out if you have not already. If you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to convey that input. Because Twitter can be really ephemeral and I have a separate place in my inbox for things that go there for feedback on the show. So I I read everything, I respond when I can. But I really do appreciate it. I was actually going through some of those while I was gone. There was a period where I had very limited internet, so reading emails was actually something that I could do or other things I, I couldn't do as well. So that was that was useful. Um, my own, my own schedule is getting back to normal, you know, dunked on. We're actually doing the 15 and 60 on Monday this week for a couple of different reasons. And then we'll be doing the NBA cast live show on Christmas day. So you can, you can keep an eye on that. I believe we are doing Celtics Sixers. So that should be pretty fun. And then writing work coming out at the athletic. Now that I'm kind of getting back in the swing of things, you can check that stuff out. I'm, I'm working on so as I, I talked about with Seth. Working on some 2020 kind of look ahead stuff, which I think is going to be really interesting. I've been trying to put my. trying to can figure out how i want to convey the thoughts that are in my brain this time this time it's not as much about figuring out how i feel it's about how how to get readers to understand where i am and so that's going to be the focus of a probably like a five-piece series that i'm going to start rolling out maybe around new year's depending on when the editorial staff gets around to it so you can look forward to that and presumably that will be a part of a real gm radio episode in the future as well so thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day
0: Surface Pro 8 has the power of a laptop and the versatility of a tablet, all in one. This thin and adaptable device has a touchscreen and a newly designed signature keyboard that can even store your Surface Pen. Surface Pro 8 is Microsoft's most powerful Pro yet. Show the world how you stand out with Surface Pro 8. Check it out at surface.com slash Surface Pro 8. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 24-7 with supplies and solutions for every industry and access to product specialists ready
1: to help. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.